Might say I'm understudy, might say I'm over the top, but there's like no clean water, but soda pop is overstock. They say amazing grace. Hey everyone, it's Tanya from Tanya's Take. Have you subscribed, followed, rated, reviewed, shared any episodes yet? Have you followed me on at Tanya's Take at Instagram or Facebook? Have you tagged three friends who you think would be interested in the podcast? Any of those things are so helpful. It helps people find the podcast and it makes me feel swell. So in this episode, I speak with Chelsea Devantes. Chelsea is a comedian, writer, and filmmaker, and the head writer for Jon Stewart's new show on Apple Plus coming out in 2021. And she also has a podcast called Celebrity Book Club, where she discusses the memoirs of female celebrities. So I listen to the podcast every week, really enjoy it. But our conversation is about more than that. Chelsea is white. And I wanted to talk to her because her podcast is intersectional, inclusive, and she's always learning in draft, meaning she's in process and open to changing her perspective. And it's diverse. And I wanted to pinpoint the things I have observed that she does naturally on the podcast that creates this intersectional, inclusive culture so that you all, the listeners, can know by the end of this episode the actionable items you can do to lead an intersectional, inclusive, equitable, anti-racist, diverse life. Because so often people ask me, well, how? They may know the why, but they don't know the how. And it's my hope that this episode gives you some direction for your path, for your anti-racist journey. And finally, I just want to um, mention that I'm recording this intro after uh, the day that I've really learned about uh, Dante Wright, the young 20-year-old man who uh, was killed by a police officer after having been pulled over for um, an air freshener violation, which is literally something I have never heard about in my life. Uh, I'm heartbroken, I'm devastated, I'm re-traumatized, but I, I'm carrying on, you know? I, I realized and shared on Instagram, but realized that um, the re-traumatization of this, part of this cycle of like, you know, the ebb and flow of these events that causes everybody to collectively um, react to what is happening all the time, just not always caught on camera. Part of the cycle is the people who are doing the good work, the people who are fighting the good fight, the people who are activists and who are um, trying and making the effort to be anti-racist, to teach anti-racism, we can get really easily daunted when news like this comes down the pike and it makes us want to lay down our swords. And um, I just recognize that something I can do is keep moving. You know, I'm going to take the emotional mental breaks when I need to, but I'm going to keep moving and putting the work and content that I intended to put out in the world and not let um, 
the violence and ignorance and uh, supremacy of these situations make me so daunted that I don't keep fighting. So, shift gears now to a really great conversation with Chelsea Devantes. Here it is. Are you ready to go? Awesome. Uh, so, as I said before we officially began, I'm thrilled to meet you, although I feel like I already know you. And something that we have in common, actually, is something that I have always done with my podcast and you do with your podcast as well, which is kick things off by talking about how you know the person that you are speaking with. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. And so since we don't technically technically know each other um what we do have in common is the second city in chicago and uh that's how i got to know you that's how you um sort of came on my radar um i saw you perform oh wow i am uh-huh so yeah cool. i'm I'm sort of the older, I'm an older generation. I may be two older generations. That's impossible. I'm looking at you and that's impossible. You're my daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Flada. But no, really. Um, because by the time I saw you, we were not there at the same time. I might have still been teaching in the um, training center. But, um, you know, my husband and I would go back and see the shows. Yeah. And so that's how I saw you. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah, and always enjoyed your performance. Okay, because I was honestly waiting, like, okay, and <laughs> this is actually an intervention. To yeah, let no you problem. Know. I think that you should stop. Sure, what you're doing. Um, no, so we, uh, so I sort of tracked you, and um, since then, in a non-stalker way, have sort of had you on my radar in terms of knowing you went to LA and knew that you were writing, and then you popped up on Instagram. I think due to someone we had in common where I noticed that you were doing these um, stories on uh, celebrity memoirs yeah. and not knowing you. And I don't even think giving context to the fact that I knew you, I wrote in one of your threads, is this going to be a podcast? And you were like, stay tuned. <laughs> no way. It's so funny because now I totally remember that was you because I'd gotten a few, uh, is this going to be a podcast? And at first I was like, no. And then I was like, maybe. <laughs> and then I was like, yes. Yeah. And then I think by the time you wrote me, it was in the works. So Chelsea does these epic, um, stories on the memoir that she is reading and she had been doing that for fun before the podcast even started and then it just was like well this is a podcast waiting to happen and it was so up my alley in terms of that again the marriage of pop culture but sort of with a bigger message um and you know that's one of the things that really strikes me about the podcast um so it's called celebrity book club and one of the things that i love about it is i think with a a podcast like that, you could go two ways. You could go, let's trash women. Let's make fun of these women. Let's, you know, kind of build ourselves up by talking about these women. Or you could look at these memoirs to celebrate women and to amplify women and to learn lessons from women. And that's what you do in the podcast. So that's one of the reasons that I love it. Oh, thank you. Um, you're welcome. The other thing I noticed right away, um, is how diverse the authors that you were discussing were. 
So a quick rundown. Um, Chelsea has covered on the podcast Tina Turner, Jennifer Lopez, Cicely Tyson, Sheila E., Gabrielle Cividé, Mariah Carey, Gabrielle Union, mixed in there, Jessica Simpson, Mackenzie Phillips. So it's this like cross-section of women, which was really exciting to me. And then the other aspect of that that really hooked me is the diverse guests that you had right and i was like so in my work one of the things i do is i try to fi- find real world examples of what i'm talking about you know so like how does a real person um live a life that is inclusive intersectional open to other cultures interested and i just thought this is sort of a great example of it um and that you in truth are one of those folks who can actually say <laughs> some of my best friends are you know people oh. <laughs> who aren't like me so that was yeah. a long preamble um, well i'm honored to be one of your examples let me yes. just say that that yeah. what a that a true honor so thank you you're welcome I mean, the truth is it's so natural and i think that i would have spotted it if it weren't if it didn't feel like it was just very much a part of your life and you know one question i would have about that is was that intentional in terms of making sure from the get-go that it was this diverse range of authors and guests well so i guess yes and no in that i knew i wanted to have all my closest friends on the podcast and the ones who aren't my closest friends are women who were interacting with me about the books or i know in in deeper ways that relate to their interest in this podcast so it wasn't intentional in that like these are just naturally like if i'm gonna have my best friends on these are my best friends i will say i bet if i did cast it though if i was like all my guests and i looked at it and it was 20 white women, I'm sure I would have been like, hmm, that doesn't seem good. But um, no, I'm and I'm still just these are just like the friends and the women I know in my life. And also, like some of the guests have been women who I connected with just on the Instagram and other women who love memoirs and deep stories. And so I've had a couple guests on who who we're just like, I don't know, we met in this digital book club. Right. Um, So so that was not intentional. The I will say the book list is more intentional, especially because one thing I noticed is that there are a ton of, like when we think of celebrity memoir, you have to have attained a certain level of celebrity, like Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, these are global superstars. There are a a lot of really great white female celebrity memoirs. There are a lot of really great black female celebrity memoirs. There's a very, very small amount of Latinx celebrity memoirs. And uh, for Asian women, also even smaller. And then that kind of goes back to like, well, that's the root. Like, wh- who does society let become a celebrity? Who, who are roles even available to in enough quantity that you ever could become a celebrity? And so then that's this thing where I'm looking at the book list and, you know, we're covering Margaret Cho's book soon. Oh. And, um, and Priyanka Chopra and Padma Lakshmi are coming up. But those numbers are very small and compared to the black and white women I've covered. And so when I look at that list and go and seek um, more intersectional, more inclusive memoirs, I then face the real world of, oh, they don't exist because we haven't let them exist. 
Yeah, it's so true. That's really interesting because it really is in terms of like that sort of descending order of quote unquote, who gets to be famous. And even when it's the black celebrity, you know, that speaks to a narrative and a trope in terms of this culture, how we allow black entertainers to, you know, rise to the top. That's really interesting. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad you made And the- even though there are like big numbers of black female celebrities, their books have been treated differently, of course. Right, right. But it is, it's like, oh, they're there because we allow them in culture. But, you know, they're, they, it's like Patti LaBelle's memoir wasn't treated the way Celine Dion's was, you know? What do you mean by that? Like it wasn't on the shelf at the local Walmart in Colorado. Right. <laughs> to be exact. I see what you mean. <laughs> But I'm also glad that you said that in this sense, because I sort of said I love that the podcast has, you know, this broad range. And I I love that you are are sort of even aware of the fact that, yes, right now it has been largely um, black celebrities, um, Latinx, white, and that you are expanding that as part of your interest, but also part of using the platform um, in a way that is inclusive. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, uh, I very naturally wanted to read all of these books, but, but yeah, looking for particularly an Asian celebrity memoir um, proved to be quite difficult. And what I like about um, the kind of community that's come around, and I say community, which is so funny because it is like, you know, it is Celebrity Book Club, (laughs) This real community has come around because I think we see ourselves in yes. the books. Um, and like, that's my favorite part of it. I see myself in each of these books. But then, you know, what about someone who's like, I haven't seen myself in these books and Absolutely. and trying to. Yeah. And, and I think that is important. And also, I genuinely want to read those books. And the publishing industry has not given them platform. Yeah. And the Hollywood industry hasn't. That's right. So, you know, along with it being intentional, though, and this is kind of like can be an awkward question of sorts, I guess. But it's like, have you always had a diverse range of friends? Like the bench, Chelsea's bench <laughs> is deep, number one. You've got some awesome, powerful powerful girlfriends. Um, and they all seem to sort of be in your life now as opposed to people you've known along the way. Um, I'm wondering, you know, have these friendships developed, especially because... How have they developed, I should say, especially because you are in a white male dominated industry? I know some of these folks you've met in writers rooms, but, you know, growing up, did you have um, a connection to a very sort of diverse community? I wonder how that sort of has become so natural. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Nevada, California, Utah, Colorado, New Orleans and New Mexico. Oh, wow. And my mom, um, we ended in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. That's where my mom still is now. I consider New Mexico home just because it's the longest I've ever been one place, Um, even though it was the last place on the journey. In Utah, uh, I I mean, I don't even think I had another friend who was brunette (laughs) like me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Absolutely not. That reminds me of a very funny TikTok video. This person like recorded a a diversity and inclusion workshop they had to watch and it was being led by a white woman and she's like look diversity is important 
for instance, I'm left-handed. And like she was talking about the like oh, no. <laughs> least qualifying things that make someone diverse. Anyway, um, wow. Yeah. So Utah yeah. didn't sound like that would have been the, the well of diversity. No, <laughs> no, no. And um, so, so yeah. So no, there were definitely huge parts of my life where my entire friend group was not even not diverse, but they were all blonde, blue-eyed Mormons. Um <laughs> So yeah, that is such an interesting question. So let me try and answer it. I I think it's I you know I ran a stand up show mm-hmm. with my friend Taylor like three years ago in L A. Maybe two. I don't really know what time is anymore, but we ran it for a long time and then it, it and then it stopped right before a pandemic. And every week we would look at the lineup and go, we don't have any men. We need to find a male comedian to be on this show. It's all women, which is, that like is not so you funny. know. Yeah, but it was, it, I genuinely, we would go be like, whoa, what dudes do we know? What dudes are we friends with? Um, so I think I have, it's been very natural and I guess not intentional. I don't know if that's not, if that's a word, but the people I've gravitated to in life have just been the people I've gra- yeah. gravitated towards no matter what. I think I also have, I have a, I intensely struggle with my own identity because I'm a donor kid. And it has put me in a position of constantly wondering what box to check and where do I fit and who am I and what's mine, what's not mine. So I think I've been maybe interrogating issues that not everyone deals with. And I just naturally have been dealing with them since I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, so I, I, and I just, I don't know, diversity can mean a lot of things. Like you said, it can mean you're left-handed, I guess. It can also be a socioeconomic class thing. And I've always come from a lower class, which has always kind of put me on the outskirts of writer's rooms. And things were like, I, not until I was in the room did I realize uh, how poor we were. <laughs> like, I didn't wow. even really feel that we were, because, you know, because everything was always fine. You know, it's always fine. Things always work out. And then in the writer's room, I was like, oh, I did not have the same life mm-hmm, as you. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, you know, you're attracted to people who, I, I've never, I guess I've never been attracted to people where everything came easy. I've never had rich friends. Um, That's interesting. And as we know, economic class creates racial disparity as well, quite often. Um, So I don't really know how it happened, but I, I don't know. I also have been in the arts my whole life. And even though the numbers are shitty in the arts of diversity, it's not like I went to, uh, I'm trying to think, it's not like I went to Wall Street banking school. What college is that? I, you know, um, and and so yeah. And also, I just don't care for I don't care for or like people who don't believe in the real world and have created bubbles for themselves of that doesn't reflect the real world. And so, um, anyone who does live in those kind of bubbles, I I just have never been a friend with. And those bubbles tend to be predominantly white. That's which is not the real world. So good. And I'm glad because I know the question was a bit of a wide net. But truly, like when I'm sort of trying to break it down and distill it, because people will be like, how do I like get to, you know, be in a more diverse um, world or whatever? And it's like, you have to live in it, you have to engage, you have to live outside your bubble. 
I mean, the world is very diverse. If you don't live in it, you live in the fake world. Oh, that is so good. And I really love that. I love this idea that it's just what you were naturally attracted to. And that that is so that cause for you to sort of gravitate towards people who don't exist inside these bubbles. And that's really the answer is like, you got to burst your bubble. That's one of the things I say when I give keynotes. It's like, you know, in terms of actionable items, like stop allowing yourself to constantly be in the majority. You have to burst your bubbles. You have to go outside of your comfort zone if it's not natural to you. But it sounds like for you, it's not so much that it was being outside a comfort zone. It's just what, based on your life experience, naturally felt good for you, felt good to you. I, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever been invited to the bubbles, to be honest. I don't think, I don't think my invite came. If there's a formula, then I'd love to pass it around. But, it, you know, I don't think there is. I think it's just who you are. And also, um, I mean, you, we can't deny that you have sort of an awareness of all of this stuff, which may or may not come from your personal experience or being around a lot of marginalized folks who you sort of love, who you're sort of um, experiencing it in that sort of empathic way. Um it's funny. I do want to make the point. I made an assumption that you are, <laughs> sounds weird. Like I made an assumption that you are white and that you identify as white. Is that fair? I am, yeah, that is fair. Okay. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I have full white privilege. Okay. <laughs> and my mom is white. Okay. Um, and I, but I'm a donor kid. Yeah. And all I was told about my donor is that he was Hispanic. And I don't have cultural discrimination. That's not something I experienced because I grew up with my white family. Um, mm. So this is this is what's cool, Chelsea. And this is this is the stuff I want to pinpoint. Like you say that rather naturally. That is like. Very complex for people to understand, like this idea of like, oh, well, I have white privilege and I present white. And regardless, like that's a lot of people would want to cling to um, the opposite of that in order to not admit to privilege or whatever you know what I mean yeah well I don't think I would be saying it on someone else's podcast but you specifically (laughs) are educated trained and work in this area it is really really difficult to explain and I often try not to enter into those conversations because people can be so horrific towards you and a lot of people love discussing diversity with having absolutely no understanding of what it is and um I have, again, because I'm a donor kid that just kind of took over my identity, like not knowing who I am and where I get to belong is, and not knowing my dad and trying to meet him, like that's kind of the core of my identity mm-hmm. more than it is, um, you know, had I known him. And right. so for me, it's like all very painful of like, is it mine? Is it not mine? Like, wh- what sure. does it mean when you're a donor kid? And I, it, it's extremely painful. I live in the pain of it all the time, but mm. I... Um, but I have, again, I've been living with it so long that I think about it a lot and I I have had to in Hollywood, it's like, oh, representation is really important. And then what people fail to do is realize that who is doing the representing Mm -hmm. is just as important. And I feel like often, you know, people with their good intentions are like, oh, we have representation. And it's like, it's like comedy theaters in Chicago who are like, right. we need someone to fix this horrible racial problem. Um, let's bring in this comedian we know. Right. And it's like, right. but if you're fixing, um, 
if you're fixing, you need someone who is studied in those areas. You can't just, and so that's kind of how I feel of like, well, what do I want to represent? I want to represent people who don't know a parent and I want to represent donor Mm. kids because that's my life. And kind of regardless of when I hopefully meet my dad and what I know about myself, it won't change who I am. My life experience is someone who has struggled with it, not someone who is, um, not someone who could who could really write a beautiful story of, about being Hispanic. That's not me. Like I'm still right, trying to you. find out who I am. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and you talk about that, and you share, and and um, are able to further explore that in the podcast, which is always lovely. And whenever you and your guests open up, it it's again, it's shifting it into something more than you know, a trivial gossipy experience. You know, oh. one of the episodes that were was particularly powerful for me was this uh, for me was the Cicely Tyson um conversation that you had and it was for a number of reasons and again it was it's partly my sort of marveling at your level of awareness of things. I one of the things you said about that particular memoir just as I am. Yes, that's what it's called. You were like, mm-hmm. this should be this yes. should replace all history books because you expressed mm-hmm. how, um, you know, through her personal experiences, her arc in life was, you know, um, certainly beforehand. But this sort of way that she's talking about things from Martin Luther King Jr. all the way to George Floyd and that this woman experienced this range of things having to do with social and racial justice. And um, the fact that you had the sort of like um, awareness to say, this is how we need to speak of our history, you know, that it's the combination of what happened and the personal story, which is, again, part of the formula of intersectionality, inclusiveness, you know, it's that very thing. Um, And then I also sort of love, you know, I did an entire episode on the Bachelor debacle, um, <laughs> my other oh, love, The oh Bachelor. My and so, again, you sort of weaved all of that in in terms of um, the bigger issues at hand and just your ability to kind of recognize it and to recognize the worth of listening to a 90-something-year-old woman just talk about her life, but it also being hinged on these major events in history. I just loved, you know, this idea that you were like, throw away the history books this is our history you know yeah well and also I was just talking to another writer who said there are actual studies on how we learn and retain information better through Mm, story and I think also we value information more when it has a personal connection to us and maybe next best thing is a personal connection to someone else who we know yes and while we don't know Sicily when you read someone's book, you feel like you know them and, and you're their yes. best friend. So what was cool, too, is, and this is sort of that perfect blend again, because here you're you're discussing a book about a black woman. You're having a black guest or biracial guest who um, had all of these sort of parallel experiences to Cicely Tyson, who then could speak from her um, perspective about these things. So it isn't just like two people who... Um, don't perhaps have um, the same color skin talking about Cicely Tyson's book. You have someone who's bringing their experience as a young black woman as well. And so the conversation becomes 
really rich. And I think that just, again, speaks to when there's that diversity in the in a space, um, what beautiful, rich conversation, lessons, understandings sort of can come forth, you know? Yeah, I think that's the conversation really missing from Hollywood, too, when they talk about diversity. Kind of the last thing mentioned or almost never mentioned is that it literally makes the work better. So screw wanting to do the right thing or be a good person. Like Hollywood likes money. (laughs) Money comes from good art. Good art comes from a diversity of writers, cast members, crew members. Like it's just tangibly scientifically better and for no other reason that should be the driving force and I feel like we don't mention that enough like that conversation would be nothing without Haley who was the guest on that episode I don't know I would love your take on this it's like oh there's so much progress being made and other times it's like no but actually we're going backwards (laughs) yeah and no progress is being made and it is it's so it's so tough and fascinating to think of like yeah what actually makes change like and you're saying like oh the business the this is it shaming people is it like how do you and um but again like yeah it is like you you all created it's kind of why why I like reality tv Mm. narrative shows have created a lie and a fake reality which is that everyone who falls in love is white (laughs) and all their friends recently are black (laughs) but not they used to didn't have but that's a like <laughs> oh my god that's you know so but true. like that it's a fake world they're literally lying to create that world granted all fiction is lies but you know what i mean yeah. it, it, reality tv has better demographics and casting granted they still have problems but reality tv does a better job because it's based on real people well you know yeah what's so funny is that the bachelor episode i i i mentioned a friend of mine jocelyn was on it with me and uh, we were talking about the bachelor and how white it's always been and of course the minute they try otherwise (laughs) shit hits the fan (laughs) they're like not equipped in any way to do it and jocelyn made the point you know that that's why she loved flavor of love and that's why because it was the first time she's ever watched the bachelor and she did it specifically because there was going to be a black bachelor and she's like Mm. i was never interested in that show what I was attracted to was Flavor of Love, again, because based on who the bat- the single man was, um, it was a diverse group of women. Now, this is, you know, you hardly can hold that up as the beacon of much, probably, but at least, like, who was she more interested in hearing the stories of? The sort of more truthful um, perspective told from, you know, the counter-narrative. Um, rather than the dominant narrative, which is how The Bachelor functions. Um, And I have to say, so, you know, again, this is sort of like, if I were to say, here's an example, and let me break down how the example of sort of living a more diverse, inclusive life would be. One would be being open to different perspectives and stories, which is sort of proven through the books that you choose. Another Mm -hmm. thing that I think you do that is pretty (laughs) remarkable is you are really open to feedback. So you have a Facebook page and um, the folks who listen to um, Celebrity Book Club, their name, um, they are The Cookies. That's the (laughs) C in Celebrity and uh, Cookies from Book. And um, uh, I remember once you were like, said it on either the Facebook page or whatever. And you're like, 
you know, if there's anything I ever say that's totally offensive or whatever, and like I totally mess up, I want you to tell me, please tell me. And then like maybe once or twice, somebody had said, well, I forget specifically, but it wasn't really even a criticism. It was just an observation or whatever. And you were like right in there, so grateful and open to the feedback and continue to be. And so that being one of the things, right? If we're trying to figure out how to do this, where do you have a thick skin? Where does that come from? Do you get it <laughs> from being in a lot of writers' rooms? Like I remember seriously seeing that and, and um, being like, "Oh sweet God, she's just opened her up self up <laughs> to who knows what." You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, how funny! I didn't even think of that. Um, you know, I am a combination of um extremely fragile and wildly <laughs> reckless. And it's not a great couple of qualities to put in a human. <laughs> um, that's a, was... that's a great name for a memoir. Extremely. <laughs> oh my fragile. God. Do I have it? Wow. And wildly reckless. Yeah. You know, and so it's tough in some ways I have an extremely thick skin. I also have a, an extremely thick skin from the life I lived. Yeah. But that's, that also means like, I'm not afraid I'm not afraid to go on stage and bomb. I'm afraid of that someone will shoot me. <laughs> like that's a fear. Wow. But I'm not afraid to like not. So I I am extremely fragile in some ways. I'm stronger in other ways. And hmm. the feedback thing never even occurred to me as something um, uh, cool I was doing. So thank you. And <laughs> I guess it comes from like I do you the world is evolving all the time and language is evolving all the time so for instance i at a at a, an an inclusive i would say they use the word intersectional feminist workshop i learned the term women w o m x n with an x instead of the e as a term that is that kind of indicates like i no gender is a spectrum. I, you know, I believe in trans rights, like all these things like that is a word you can use to signal that, like, yeah. um, I don't believe in the gender binary. Right. Well, so in the podcast, when I first did the write up, I said celebrity women with the X instead of the E. Then a couple months ago, or maybe a month ago, one of the cookies DM'd me, sent me a different meme from someone else, uh, not a meme, but sort of an infographic saying when you use the X, you are saying that trans women are not women. Trans women are different. Trans women go in this category with an X instead of the E and are not women as we've known women. And they said, would you change this? And I was like, immediately. Yeah. You know, I only ever used it because it was taught to me as inclusive. Now it's being taught as non-inclusive. So then I removed it from everything. But like language, especially around diversity, is constantly yeah. evolving. That's, that's one of the things I, I say a lot in, in um, trainings is like it's a fast moving train. It's so fluid. And, you know, it isn't about keeping up so that you're up with the trends, but it just gives you a really clear infrastructure for like what is needed from you next in the process of being, you know, a co-conspirator, an abolitionist. It's like, and for me, that's exciting. Now, for some people, they're so sort of uh, caught up in the idea of I want to be right. I don't want to uh, look stupid, right? That that 
they feel bad if they're corrected. But I'm like, no, that's yeah. awesome. Bring it. Tell me. Move, move, move. You know, because there's so yeah. much work to be done. Yeah. And also, it's just kind of, I, I of course I feel bad if I'm, if I hurt someone, I feel horrible. Yeah. If I said something wrong, I feel horrible. It's also recorded and given out to a lot of people. Yeah. So I feel a lot of responsibility with that. You know, I recorded an episode where um, I talked about how I had learned that a stutter, it's possible to get a stutter mm. from having early childhood abuse. And a woman in the Facebook group corrected me to say that's actually not the majority of stutters. And the way you said it made it sound like that's where you get a stutter from. Yes, I remember that one. And it's, yeah, and it's like it's so important for, it, one, that's not how I meant it. Like, oh, I found out this thing sure. and there's actual sexual abuse in this book. And so I'm linking it together. But I don't want to project right. <laughs> that that's, that that's um, for that community, that that's where it comes from. And, and so, yeah, I feel like it's very important to correct. And also, I because this is a real world applicable conversation, I also want to say that it's, uh, it's also hard because yeah. I'm a comedian. Yes. And even though this podcast weirdly gets way more serious than anything I've done, I am still a comedian. So there are certain jokes I like to make. Like I love joking about horrific stepdads because I grew up with them. It'll always be a joke wheelhouse for me. That's not going to feel good to certain right. step parents. Right. But so there's on, also only so much I can do yeah. before I'm not doing a comedic podcast anymore. Yeah. And comedy is pushing the boundaries. It is calling things out. It is making light of pain, which is what I do all the time. And so I also have to accept, like, I never want to hurt anyone. And you, I also have to get to be myself. Yeah, that is a, that is a part of the conversation, right? And, a, and, and in general, people aren't. So this idea of, especially in comedy and um, the pushback coming from folks who hold the dominant narrative, white, straight, cisgender, male, and this idea of like, you can't tell me. I think you're, the way you described it is really about like the, the careful walk that you walk, you know, like, and are you willing to evolve as things evolve? Um, and based on what it is, like you're letting go of something isn't necessarily about changing who you are. You know what I mean? So it's like a lot of the time, the criticism that comes from language being used um, and a, a comedian wants to be like, I, I need to be able to say whatever I want. It's like, that's not about your core. That's just you about wanting to be able to have control at all times, regardless of who you're hurting or who like falls in your wake, you know? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and also Cicely Tyson had something interesting in her book of like, I know she, it was, it, it's a totally different, it's not a correct mapping, but she basically was like, but what do I want to project? What do I want to project as an artist? Yeah. And do I need to project a, a word or story that's harmful to anyone? No. So if anyone says that, I automatically drop that. However, in my life, I've had bad stepdads. So I'm going to right, forever make jokes about big stepdad energy. Yes, and, yes. That, and, and that is mine to talk about. Right, right. Um, and so there's also a line of like, and if you don't want to hear me make fun of stepdads, like, I, you know what I mean? I understand and I bid you well, but like, you know, you get to be you and I get to be me and we shouldn't harm each other in the process. Well, and and it's sort of just to sort of wrap up the part that you were saying, though, about um, when you get the feedback and how quickly things change. There's also different schools of thought. So like, say, with the um, Latina versus Latinx, there are some people who will give you feedback that Latinx actually is not 
um, the most inclusive language. There are some people, and this tends to sometimes be generational, older generational, uh, older generation generally isn't that big of a fan of Latinx. Younger generation is. And so it's also about, you know, having real world, individual, applicable conversations. It isn't a one size fits all. And so one person may have given you the feedback about the um, the X in women, but another person may be like, no, that's awesome. You know, and it's like, you just have to yeah. stay open. But about, you know, moving from that sense of truth is sort of well, and I hope that it comes off in the podcast that, like, this is a podcast about discussing the reality, the reality of our lives. Yeah, yeah. And the reality of our lives is that stuff gets messy. Yeah. People mess up. And, like, how it's, I mean, it's a whole podcast about, like, making mistakes and triumphing from them. Yes. So I think it would be so crazy if I also like, wasn't uh, into making mistakes and, like, trying right. to. I don't want to. But, like, it's, like, yeah, the whole thing is, like life is messy and complicated and like it's not going to clear up unless we talk about it amen um so if we were to go to the third observation i've had so we've had the first which is interest okay. in sort of diverse intersectional stories outside of your you know immediate reference um this idea of being open to feedback um and then the other th brilliant thing you've done recently um you recently were named the head writer for the new John Stewart show, and you put out on Twitter, writers submit. You do not need to go through an agent. Um, removing that barrier, that wall, giving access. Um, can you talk to me about how you came to that um, and what that process has ended up being like? Yeah. So. Um, I, you know, when I was trying to get hired in late night. Before I had an agent, I was always chasing down packets and praying that they had accidentally left the email address open. And even after doing, you know, like accidentally an agent forwarded the email that had the address in it oh, and then wow. it gets passed around, kind of like hoping for those. And, and, and it was all, it's always an accident <laughs> when that happens, it's not purposeful. And then also doing a packet and kind of hoping that, I think you have this idea of that like some, like grand queen is reading them being like they're not represented like we didn't invite them like throw the packet in the trash and so kind of being fearful that you you did it all for nothing anyway and then um i i just had so many frustrations about frustrations about the packet process from having done it so much myself and looking at a process and being like this is such garbage and like such a waste of time and then you know when i worked for John, um, which was my first job in late night, was writing for him. We one day had a conversation about how he was saying he would go to the agents and ask for a diverse range of candidates, and they would still always send him the exact same people. Yeah. And that's when we talked about, well, it's, the, it's in the agents. <laughs> like, like it's, the, the, it's a bottleneck. The gatekeepers. Of, yeah, it's the gatekeepers. And so when this opportunity came about, I kind of always had like, oh, if I ever got the chance to do this, this is what I would do. And um, John really wanted to do that too. And so I will say, I think it worked personally. I think it worked phenomenally because we, 
there's so many talented people who aren't represented. Hell yeah. Uh, represented like uh, in the world and in art, but represented by agents and managers okay. and the people who give them the packets. And um, that just became so clear. And I will also say, I think the process of, of what we asked for also worked on the ends of like, you have to be able to have a staff who can read the packets. And if you make a 12 page packet, reading that many packets then becomes an economical issue of your hours and time. Mm. And I will say it is still a bit of, um, you know, you always want hiring to be equitable. And the moment you make it cost more, companies don't want to do it. Okay, so I would yeah. say I also saw a snag in that, like, it took more time to blind the submissions than read them non-blind. And it also took more time because we got so many. Yes. And so that's sort of like an economical like, oh, how do you make that smaller so that everyone wants to recreate this regardless of needing someone to spend all those hours blinding them? So what was the template of the submission? Like what, so you reduced sort of what you wanted in the packet? Yeah, we made it a one page long submission. Holy and cow. Normally they are 11 to 12 pages long or maybe five. You know, it was great. It was great to see how many people are out there who right. are talented and want to be in late night. And it, so I guess I would say to anyone running a late night comedy room and even narrative room, like if you're it, like they, the talent exists. So if they're not in your room, that is a choice you're making. Amen. And you're you're removing the barriers that might have kept certain folks out and to pass it on to your friends like a lot of people and I know coming up you have this moment of like why well, can't I don't want to share this with someone else because there's so many of us and there's only so few jobs and I guess I would just say like always pass it on never listen to anyone who says you can't oh yeah I mean like just that generosity I think um but I love you know I think that as a formula um do you think that I mean do you think it's a trend that oh that's gonna catch on hopefully I I think it should. Yeah. I think it should. I think it, obviously I'm biased, but I thought it worked so incredibly well that it would be a shame if that's not how every creative uh, job started, started going forward. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a high thing for me to say. It's my own process, but like I, and you know, um, my really good friend, Ashley, Full Frontal's process really broke down a lot of those barriers too oh, yeah. when they did really? it. Okay. That's another show that really did that, and um, and Amber Ruffin's show does a great job of that. So I think shows are already doing it, and I hope that it spreads to every show. Well, and well, although yes, John signed on or or agreed, but it's just you know you can't ignore the fact that the three people you just mentioned are women. Uh, <laughs> that's true, but uh, and I but I will say that's what it's what John wanted. Yeah, he you know he wasn't uh, he he had very much been wanting that for a long time. That's great. That's great. Well, you know. I um, really appreciate what you're doing. I really appreciate how you're doing it. And I, I hope as people were listening, you know, there are pathways to this. And um, it has to be either part of your world already or it has to be intentional, you know. And if you kind of make that um, commitment and you sort of merge those two things, the world is going to open up and there are going to be more opportunities. And yeah, and the, and the quality of it. And thank you for your work. Thanks. It is intense work <laughs> and um, it is what's making a difference. And there, it takes so much study on top of desire. Yeah, yeah. And so for you to do that and apply it every day, like you. you are, 
you're the person making the change. I'm the girl with a celebrity memoir podcast. <laughs> but together we are mighty. Um, yes. <laughs> thank you so much, Chelsea. I really appreciate your time, your energy, um, and have fun at your fancy panel that you're having. I, I don't know if it's fancy, but it is a panel. Well, you've got cascading <laughs> curls, so it feels thank like it's you. fancy. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, all thank right. You. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Maybe it'll be all right. Maybe you're all wrong. Amazing Grace. Thank you, Lord. Bobblehead. Show pop. Work a lot. It's never sweet. Yes, it is. No, it's not. This whole